welcome to Green and Red, Scrappy Politics for Scrappy People, a regular podcast on radical, environmental and anti-capitalist politics, brought to you by Bob Bazanka and Scott Parker. Welcome everybody to Green and Red, week six of social isolation for me here in California. We are excited to have a new episode uh, with Jasmine Araujo from Southern Solidarity in New Orleans. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Uh, great. And as always, I'm joined by my co-host. Bob Bazanko in Ohio. And good morning to, to both of you. Good morning. So, uh, Jasmine, you've been, yeah, you're located down in New Orleans. Uh, you're part of a crew of folks doing mutual aid during this current crisis, the global pandemic around COVID-19. Your mutual aid crew is called Southern Solidarity. And so maybe we could just talk a little bit, start off with a little bit of like, you know, how is the situation down there? Um, How bad is it? And then like, what have you all been doing? So data has been released showing that um, from 2012 to 2016 alone, rent increased in New Orleans by 25%. And additionally, 315 available um, affordable housing units were cut six months before the pandemic started. Um, and by ne- 2019, 11, 88,000 people were classified as homeless by the Unity of Greater New Orleans, which is a coalition of advocate groups for the homeless. And while some of those 1,188 people live in shelters, it's looking like more than 600 of them live on the streets. The official number that the city has given us is 400, but for us, for Southern Solidarity, we're on the ground, we're feeding up to 200 people in the downtown area of New Orleans alone. So we're estimating that it's closer, probably closer to 600. On March 26, 2020, uh, a little under 200 of what we estimate to be 600 people were relocated to a temporary hotel, but hundreds have been abandoned on the street and are waiting for a temporary relocation. So my crew uh, has been feeding and distributing food to those people every day since the lockdown began. I started with just one or two friends about 31 days ago, and that built into a 25 uh, volunteer run group called Southern Solidarity. We call ourselves a mutual aid group, and that means that we're a voluntary reciprocal exchange of resources and services for mutual benefit. Now when, when you got started, um, Scott Crow, when he was in New Orleans after Katrina, talked about an emergency heart, like this passion and this, this compulsion to go do something. Is that kind of what promoted you guys to do it, provoked you guys to do it? Just this, you saw this, got your friends together and said, we got to do something about this? Yeah, I was, I've always been an organizer, um, but I was specifically concerned by the level of neglect my unhoused neighbors were being subjected to as the city shut down. I just went on a few walks and realized that these people were totally unaccounted for. A lot of them were, you know, wouldn't get updates about coronavirus. They wouldn't be able to rely on loose change from pedestrians as the city shut down. They wouldn't be able to rely on discarded food from tourists. They they would be extremely vulnerable to mental health issues. And you can just feel, you could feel that when, when you were walking in the area that a lot of the homeless people seemed frustrated and angry. And then on top of that, those who suffer from traumatic brain injuries, which is a lot of unhoused people, um, I was worried that they wouldn't even comprehend the changes happen, happening around them and would be confused. 
Um, so I mobilized volunteers, just like you said, because it, it felt like something needed to be done um, through Facebook mutual aid, um, a regional mutual aid site that um, had been created. And within hours, we raised enough to begin distributing that very day. Um, and it's been a good month now. We just had our one month anniversary. We've raised more than $18,000. Um, again, we're a group of 25 people. There is also a sister group being developed in Oakland called Oakland Solidarity. Um, and then a lot of the people, I've been getting so much response to volunteer that I can now choose who the volunteers are going to be. And I'm focused on people who have a set of anti-imperialist values so that people understand that we're not doing this out of charity, we're doing this out of solidarity. And I think what distinguishes us from other groups in the downtown area of New Orleans that are giving food is that we're not doing it with a religious um, you know, twist. We're not, we're not doing it because you know, we're doing it out of solidarity, not through any government, not through religion. Uh, a kind of follow-up question is that, like, you know, after Hurricane Katrina, we saw, like, a whole lot of, you saw, like, thousands of volunteers or even tens of thousands of volunteers go and work through an organization called Common Ground Relief. And I'm wondering if there's, like, any overlap with um, that group, which I believe still exists in New Orleans, right? Interesting. That's good to know. I'll reach out to them. We haven't reached out to them, but we have gotten a lot of organizations that have been around for a while reaching out to us, which is really helpful. Um, a few weeks ago, one of uh, one unhoused person died of a drug overdose. We were we weren't we didn't have to attend him because there was an ambulance there, but we did see him. And so we reached out to Tristereo to give us a, a training on harms reduction so that we can administer Narcans if need be. So collaborating with other organizations who have been doing this for a while has been really helpful. A few weeks ago, New Orleans was, you know, kind of in the, in the media a lot, kind of predicted as the next hot spot. And then basically we're, you know, most of the media is talking about New York. Um, it, it seems like New Orleans is Mardi Gras going on when this started would be particularly vulnerable. Are you seeing like a, a huge number of cases there? Yeah, we're seeing a huge number of cases. I think it's up to around 6,000 uh, since yesterday. I haven't checked today. But um, what's interesting is that a lot of people have been saying Mardi Gras, but what, when we look at the numbers, it, it seems like it has more to do with structural inequities than it does with Mardi Gras. I mean, Mardi Gras could have very well played a part in, in the spread, but it, it seems like the people who are dying um, are Black people. And so it's just exposing the structural inequities that exist in the city that have existed since Katrina, since before Katrina. A hundred percent of the people who've died in St. Louis, which is a big city, are black. So yeah. I think that all over Michigan, Mississippi, that massive numbers of uh, African-Americans are being affected uh, by this because of poverty and everything that comes with it. Yeah. Um, Scott, were you going to say something? Yeah, I mean, my, my other question is, is, is you're a sort of like all volunteer kind of grassroots kind of scrappy kind of group. Uh, I'm wondering what the sort of like response from the city or even the state of Louisiana to y'all has been or, or the police, New Orleans police. Like, have you had like, um, <laughs> we attention or? Yeah, we were just talking about this yesterday um, as, a, as a team uh, because we're prepared for we're we're building scripts and kind of preparing around police uh, interfering with our 
with our work because a recent article came out on NOLA.com about how police are going to be doing car checkpoints. Now, be before you started, did you, do you have like a background in this and did you guys have like training sessions or did you have, you know, kind of other people come in and kind of talk with you? Um, have you talked to lawyers just, you know, kind of having somebody on, on call in case something comes up? So the people we have on call right now, we have a number to give on house people in case um, they were recently ev evicted. Um, and I'll talk more about what I mean by that. And then uh, we have the number for street. We have a group of street medics who respond to any of our calls in case we see someone who's really injured. So a lot of the unhoused people are really scared to go to the hospital right now. So they've been letting any wounds that they get um, go unattended. So we reach out to the medics to come and find them and administer any, anything they need right then and there. And then we also have folks uh, who are experts in harm reduction, like I mentioned, Tristereo, and they are also ready to, to come find us whenever we need their support. So that's been really great. And uh, so I mentioned earlier that in March 26, 200, about 200 uh, unhoused people were placed in a hotel temporarily. Some of those, unhoused people were evicted from the hotel after the fact. And so we are helping them, those people, if they need to call a lawyer. So that's why I brought it up. Is the city or state, like in California, like they've been putting unhoused people into like hotels and, and things like that or shelters? Is the, has the city or state been uh, doing any sort, of, any sort of work like that? Yeah, out of the 600 unhoused people on the street, the city took a little under 200 people. There are 90 people in one hotel in the downtown area and about 88 people in another hotel in the east um, of New Orleans. And the problem is that it's just, it's left out hundreds of people who waited in line for the hotel, who were rejected because I'm hearing people saying that they weren't clean enough or they didn't, you know, they didn't look like people who would be at a hotel. So the unhoused people just, it was a very undignified move by the city to only house, a, you know, a few hundred. Among the people you're working with, um, do you think, I mean, there's, I doubt they're getting tested, but is there a sense that like many of them have been sick or have they had possibly been exposed to the COVID or... And there must be, a, you know, as well as needing food and shelter, a, a serious medical issue there as well. So we actually have not been seeing anyone that looks sick beyond just needing nutrition or having underlying other underlying um, illnesses. We're seeing a lot of drug abuse. We're seeing a lot of victims of physical abuse. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, we're seeing the problems, very serious problems that were there even before COVID. Sure. That, and that's what seems to be killing off this population. Now you have 25 in your crew. Do you all 25 of you go out every day or do you have shifts or? No, I can explain what our day day to day looks like. Um, so we use the funds that we have right now to shop, prep and distribute 100 to 200 bags of food to the unhoused in the downtown area of New Orleans. And the reason why it's either 100 or 200 is because on some days we have uh, neighbors in the city or restaurants um, who give us a hundred bags of food and we just distribute. So sometimes people will make food for us, donate it, and we'll be able to distribute that. Um, so we ride around two vehicles. We ride two vehicles across three neighborhoods, the Treme, the Central Business District, and the French Quarter. We just added another team that will distribute to two additional neighborhoods on behalf of Southern Solidarity but they wouldn't be um, doing the food with us. They would just be going out 
with us. Um, so we also have, a, and I, like I mentioned, we have a sister group in Oakland, but the way we distribute is one vehicle, a pickup truck is filled with bags of food and the other, a car is filled with clothes, shoes, towels, blankets, pillows, a first aid kit, and the Narcans that I mentioned earlier. When we see someone in need, we stop and we provide them with their basic need. We always start by asking them what they need and figure everything else out from there. Um, they might make a request that, uh, for something we don't have, so we make sure to find them the next day and accommodate them. Um, so yeah, we're doing more than just food, but the food prep takes about an hour and then the distributing takes about two hours and a half. We get our food usually if we have to make it ourselves from Costco. So that's as far as the deal as we're getting. Now you've had video up, I think, of, of uh, you and your crew delivering. I don't know where I saw it. It was on Facebook or somewhere yeah. else. Yeah. So yeah, I've been keeping day to day on Facebook. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, and actually, why don't you, to, before we forget, why don't you tell people if they want to help you out? Because I know you have a, a, I don't know if it's a, some kind of yeah. donation page. Uh, yeah, if you follow us on southernsolidarity.org, we're posting updates there, and you can donate. There's a link to donate. There's also a link to um, volunteer if you're in the New Orleans area. Okay, southernsolidarity.org. I have a, a little bit of a, a bigger question, which is that, you know, we've seen this play out lots of times, and so disasters can be opportunities for community building, but can also be an opportunity for exploitation by governments and markets. Like, it's an opportunity to, like, push the poor out of like certain cities or certain communities. Um, how are you seeing either of those things? I mean, I think you've kind of laid out a little bit of the community building already, but like, how are you seeing either mm -hmm. or, or both play out right now in New Orleans? I mean, we're, what we're seeing is neglect. Um, there are groups that are beginning to organize. The Hospitality Allegiance group is organizing a demonstration next week. Um, but our demands, we're, we're going to um, kind of join them in that protest, but our demands are that the unhoused are put in permanent homes, not in hotel. I mean, if, if hotel is the first step, then that's fine, but put in placed in permanent homes, not these temporary hotels, um, so that we can actually solve the ills of New Orleans and not just put a Band-Aid over it during COVID. Um, and what we're seeing, the response to that has been um, that, you know, as usual, developers and real estate folks are being prioritized over our demands for permanent housing for unhoused folks. The city has been saying that these things just happen slowly. We can't, you know, get the funds. But, I mean, they should have leftover funds from Hurricane Katrina. It's been reported that there are leftover funds from Hurricane Katrina that can um, help us in this time. And when the city wants to come up with money, it does. Sure, yeah, if it, if it needs to renovate the Superdome or something, they'll find the money. Uh, yeah, exactly. Scott, do you wanna tell people who we are? Yeah, hey folks, you are listening to Green and Red. Uh, we're talking with uh, Jasmine Araujo from Southern Solidarity in New Orleans, who's been administering um, organizing and uh, doing mutual aid with uh, unhoused populations in New Orleans. Great, great work. Uh, if you want to learn more about Green and Red, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, easy search. And then if you want to become a patron and support Green and Red with our small but mighty donor base, uh, you can go to patreon.com backslash green red podcast. And so Jasmine, my question is what does being prepared in this moment look like as far as you're concerned? What can people best do? Just not, not just in New Orleans or not with the solidarity group you work with in Oakland, but like everywhere. 
I think that if we want to talk about being prepared, we have to think about it in terms of um, really embodying this idea of connection. We are connected to each other. The most exploited person in your area or the mo most exploited person in America's well-being is wrapped up with your well-being. And I think that that's what um, the pan pandemic is showing us. But that has always been true. Yeah. Now, I get a sense the governor of Louisiana isn't quite as crazy as like the governor of Georgia. So there's like reopening isn't imminent, I don't think there. But um, I mean, how do you perceive that going down when things do, when people start coming out? Um, do you think it's going to be kind of more difficult for you to kind of get people interested in the homeless or will that make the problem worse? Or, you know, kind of are you guys thinking about like what comes next? Mm -hmm. We're definitely thinking about what comes next. Um, we are thinking about and looking at uh, historic groups like the Black Panthers and their 10-point program. They also uh, had social programs that included food distribution and that inspired permanent uh, national social programs like the WIC. And so we're going to keep doing what we're doing. We're going to hope for big things. Um, you mentioned Governor Edwards. Uh, Governor Edwards pretended to be surprised to learn that black people were dying at twice the rate as white people here in New Orleans. So we're, we're, there's still a need for Southern solidarity to bring uh, home that, these are, that there are structural inequities in New Orleans that need to be addressed. And we're not going to stop until we see changes. Yeah, no, my point just was that Edwards isn't as crazy as Kemp, which is, you know, yeah. kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. thing. I, I mean, you know, but, but, uh, um, now, do you see many kids, you know, young children? Uh, in, you know, I was reflecting on the fact that I haven't seen many kids in a yeah. month, which is very sad. Do you mean the unhoused people, though? Or just well, about or in just kids in need. I mean, it's not just homeless who are coming to you, right? I mean, people, anyone can yeah. come for food, right? To Absolutely. Anyone can come for food. Um, yeah. So there is one family that has two kids that are out on the street, um, and we've been giving them as much support as we can, um, both financially and getting organizations to know about them, to flag them and to be aware that we need to get those folks off the street. But re it's, it's so hard because the need is just, if it's not a family, it's someone who just had an abortion. If it's not, you know, everyone has a need, everyone needs to get off the street. So I really wanna put my efforts into making sure that everyone has permanent housing. Now, do people come with you with other issues like, uh, you know, healthcare, like you just mentioned abortions, women who are pregnant or prenatal care or women who've just given birth? I mean, there, there can't be much of a social safety network in the best of times, you know? So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're uh, reaching out to an organization that specifically focuses with those issues called Women with a Vision. And yeah, we direct all of those folks there. They've told us that we can even bring the unhoused women to, or femmes to their um, office to give them support. So that's great. So that's, and you work with, yeah, that's great. Though. So you have a lot of coordination then like with, you know, battered women or, Exactly. Yeah, and we're showing we're showing these organizations that they they could have a piece to their work that's more on the ground that deals with actually targeting these people. You know what I mean? I think so a lot a, of these, yeah. Are, yeah. are you also? Um, I mean, there's obviously a political education going on here. Do you, is it kind of explicit, or do you just kind of, you know, let people figure it out for themselves? Or I mean, you're not going, <laughs> to, you know, Huey Huey Newton lectures or anything like that. I get that, but. <laughs> 
<laughs> um, I noticed that, that some of my volunteers struggled and I try to do really quick trainings, but I am going to partner with um, Angela Kinlaw, who does a lot of anti-racism work and kind of help kind of figure out doing a training for my team. So yeah, I'll so just do Zoom trainings if I see a need. Cool. Sure. I have, I have a question. Um, I did, I kind of rolled with the, the Houston Food Not Bombs crew back in the early 2000s. And one thing that we actually experienced then was like occasional harassment from like not the cop. Well, we, there was, there was regular harassment from the police in downtown Houston, but there was also mm -hmm. sometimes occasional harassment from like right wingers, yep. Republican groups. Yep. And I, and yep. I know that after Katrina, that was a, a major issue with like racist mm -hmm. militias shooting at black people and in, in the um, uh, ninth ward and things like that. Are y'all experiencing anything like that, especially with this sort of like yeah. surge of right wing protests in the last week? Absolutely. Um, well, I want to I, I wanna start by saying we've gotten an overwhelming amount of support from most of our neighbors who are residents. Um, a lot of times people will clap while we're doing this work. People will shout, thank you, or they'll ask for our website and we scream it from the other side of the street. But um, there was one person who was kind of following us and saying, why are you feeding these people? You're enabling them. And you know, that kind of just selfishness and greed is, is we just ignore that stuff. Have any like local like churches or universities, like kind of more established institutions offered any help or of any kind? Um, no, not. We are working with a group called Community Kitchen and they have been distributing food since before the pandemic and sometimes we'll get food from them um yeah. but they're not related to a church so no not really any churches government yeah, and church like, yes. affiliations yeah. have not reached out to us mm -hmm. yeah no i just meant like established institutions who actually have some resources who could help but uh, oh i see yeah community kitchen is, is one of them um there is another person who's distributing who, who does also around 200 bags a day and goes to a neighborhood that we don't go to, but his distribution includes distributing religious uh, messages, which I feel yeah. is, yeah. yeah, I mean. No, I think that's very common, you know, in a, in a lot yeah, of- Yeah, exactly. Now, do you still, you know, obviously you mentioned earlier, you know, uh, you, you witnessed a, a drug overdose. Now, clearly that's obviously in any big city gonna be a problem, alcoholism, drugs, I mean, is this, Kind of you seeing it you know, exacerbate. I was thinking about that the other day. Like, you know, yeah. if it's harder to get a fix or if it's easier or what, you know, uh, mm -hmm. in, in Ohio, basically in Appalachia, which has one of the two or three highest opioid addiction rates in the country. And I was wondering about that, you know, like the normal people, yeah. I see, you know, stagger in. I'm not seeing right now. I don't know if they're yeah. like, dying or what. So. Yeah, it's a big problem even during COVID. I think especially because of COVID, um, a lot of people, you know, you can see the desperation on their face if they hadn't had a fix in a while. They start asking us for money instead of food. Um, yeah. yeah, and so uh, we're very, we try to all check in with each other before we make any decisions on what we give folks. But generally we are functioning on, we trust and believe the unhoused, um, unless we yeah. see that it might put them in danger. But, um, but yeah, the, the overdosing seems like a huge problem, which is why we're gonna do this um, harms reduction training. Um, what about, what do, you, what do you guys do to protect yourselves? I, I know I've seen pictures yeah. of masks and gloves, but are you guys like being pretty careful or have you had any problems with your crew? 
No, no problem. Knock on wood. No problems with our crew. We're following CDC guidelines while preparing and distributing food every day. Um, a lot, several volunteers come to my house. I have a two-story house, so three of them go upstairs so that they can social distance, and three of them go downstairs. I give them masks. I give them gloves. They have face shields. Then when, so all of those people prep for about an hour, and then when we go out to distribute, only people who have been trained to distribute are the ones that come with me. And then the rest of the food preppers head home. That's about four people go out with me every day. Um, and they have more intense face shields. They all have to have N95 masks. I give them some thicker gloves. They're um, usually covered from head to toe. And they advise the unhoused people to stay six feet away from us and each other. And really, Asking unhoused people to stay away from each other is really hard. <laughs> we are trying to get better at it. But um, in terms of when we distribute, it's fine. But when they're together, they're all usually huddled up. We're trying to give everyone at least five masks, all the unhoused people, at least five masks so that they can rotate them out as they become dirty. Um, and we're also giving unhoused people restaurant-grade steramine as, an, as a sanitizer. And that doesn't have alcohol in, inside of it, so we're not risking anyone drinking it. Yeah, I was actually just thinking about that. <laughs> yeah. Like trading their, their sandwiches for, for wine or cigarettes or exactly, something. Exactly, yeah. I mean, yeah, you can't judge them, but... No, 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 no. Now, I, I, I'm going to let you go. I'm doing one more. Um, have you done this before COVID or are you just kind of learning on the fly or were you trained in it? Or I'm just kind of curious, like, because it sounds like you guys have a really efficient operation there and you've mm -hmm. into this. Um, so like I said, I've always organized. I organized an education here in New Orleans. So I'm used to organizing. I was the director of diversity, equity and inclusion for a school. So I'm used to telling oh, okay, people okay, okay, <laughs> what yeah. to do, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. But um, all for a mission. As someone in education, I was also dealing with unhoused population. There's okay. always overlap. Um, you know, once again, I know yeah. mm -hmm. if you're in the area or if you're in a big city, you know, you can mm -hmm. you know, actually try to see what's going on on the hand. Uh, for the rest of us, um, we, can send you, we can send you money. We can do liberal activism, right? And so yeah. Uh, once again, tell us if we want to help out what we can do. Yeah, if you want to help out, um, first of all, learn about the unhoused people in your own community, research what's happening there, make sure that they're being treated fairly and um, organ you know, organize in your community as safely as possible, um, given that we're in a pan pandemic. Um, and then for us, yeah, read about us, go on our website, southernsolidarity.org. We're providing more than just food. We're in partnership with organizations that are seeking permanent housing for all of those on the street. There isn't a mystery around creating affordable housing. We just have to demand it. Um, so, yeah. I, the one last thing I, I would like to throw out is that, is that uh, you know, we're seeing these like pockets of mutual aid pop up everywhere. And so... For you know, folks listening, organizations like Mutual Aid, Disaster Relief, uh, Crime Think, all are kind of putting out like lots of resources about how folks can do mutual aid or where groups are that um, you can plug into. And so, I just like would really like to encourage everyone out there that if you're healthy and feel safe and going out of your home, that you know, plugging in and supporting like a mutual aid group, however you can, or if you just donate money to you know, Southern Solidarity or mutual aid groups in your, in your local community is like one of the most important things you can do. We're seeing 
the right wing groups basically out protesting shelter in place orders and social distancing and things like that. Whereas like people on the left have really sort of gravitated to it to doing mutual aid support or, you know, kind of resisting some of the um, unsafe practices that their bosses are making them do. And so just really encourage folks to kind of get more involved. This is the moment to do it. Absolutely. Yeah. The other, the other day after, you know, we saw these pictures, of these lunatics out there, you know, trying to block people from the emergency room. Somebody said, well, what's Antifa doing? I was like, they're, they're making, they're feeding homeless people, you know? So, um, and, and you guys are doing, there's way more of you than there are of them, but the media, it's not a, a good media story. Like, like crazy people waving Confederate flags. Is, so mm -hmm. yeah. no, just, uh, this, this is really great. Um, and I hope it inspires a lot of other people to go out and do that. This is a really, obviously pivotal moment um, and, and uh, beyond getting rid of a, a, a medical problem, we obviously need to restructure society very, very significantly. So, um, And we also need to stop depending on heroes to come and fix the day. We can, we can um, be there for ourselves. We can be a community. Well, I'm going to, I know what you meant by that, but I'm going to put words in your mouth because I've been bitching about people and <laughs> for 18 months and all the money and time they put into that. So, I would much rather see folks like you with $180 million than a political candidate. So yes, anyway, exactly. okay. I, I, I don't know if that was what you meant, but that's I, exactly what I meant. Okay. I'm going to say no matter what, I don't need much. <laughs> Good. It's been great talking to you, Jasmine. Thanks yeah, so much. And, um, you know, yeah, if you ever want to get a hold of us and come on again, or if you have any information to pass along, let us know. And we'll, we'll check in again with you, uh, hopefully uh, in better times. So thanks so much. Thank you. Have a good day. You too. You too. Hey everybody, we're uh, still here. Uh, it was great talking to Jasmine with Southern Solidarity. And we just want to continue with this theme about talking about mutual aid and the COVID resistance that's going on right now where like Instacart and Amazon workers are striking and healthcare workers are like walking out of their jobs or refusing um, to work based on the lack of personal protection equipment they're getting. And then to contrast that with what's been in the media, which has been this like sort of media frenzy around these like right-wing anti-social distancing protests um, and so, Bob, you just actually wrote an article about this and published it yesterday. Yeah, so my blog, which is Afflict the Comfortable, which is one word, afflictthecomfortable.org. And I called it uh, uh, Death Cults, Wildcats, and Liberal Civility. Um, the bigger point here, I think, is that the media has really gone to town with all these really ugly scenes, right, of uh, people who uh, are holding Confederate flags and wearing MAGA hats. And, you know, in a sane world, Donald Trump would be at like 15% right now, but, but he's not. But if you look, you know, if you pan out, the, these crowds are not very big. And like in, in Santa Fe yesterday, somebody uh, emailed me that in Santa Fe, there were like 15 cars with 20 people, but there were news helicopters from every major station flying overhead to the video. So the point here is these people are really a tiny minority and a poll came out the other day, uh, which showed only 22% of Americans support these protests. Majority of Republicans oppose them. A majority of Republicans think that the shelter-in-place measures, these kind of protective measures, need to stay in place. Um, on every issue related to that, including reopen the economy, 
uh, government support for people who are unemployed or, or homeless or whatever, huge majorities of Americans are opposed to what Trump and many of these governors are doing. So um, people who think, you know, like us, <laughs> to use that phrase, are in a vast majority here. And, and yet, if you looked at the media, you would never, never get that. Yeah. Um, I, I find it interesting. I, it actually seems like the, that the, some of the right-wing groups which are like behind this, yeah, I'm, you know, I, I feel like some of it's AstroTurf. I feel like some of it is kind of like Republicans, the Fox Newses and the DeVos Foundation and that kind of like season upon the anxiety of, of people about their economic precarity if they're Trump supporters. But um, it also seems like they're being somewhat strategic in trying to kind of create a media frenzy around this right now. And then like kind of coupling that with like one thing I would say about like left mobilization and left organizing is from what I've seen is, you know, we go and march 200,000 people in New York or 300,000 people in New York for climate. And then like nothing changes. Everything stays the same. Obama was in the White House when we did that in 2014 and we barely got any acknowledgement. Biggest climate march in history. And Trump tweeting at them validates them and then southern governors immediately moving to lift the shelter in place in their states also validates them so it kind of just fuels them and then it also fuels this sort of media frenzy and so it's 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 a it's an interesting dynamic in that it's like the it's like the the right-wing strategist whoever they are basically somewhat plan that and now it's like sort of it's at some level it's astroturf and some level it feels a little bit organic. And then also at some level, it's also these like Nazi militia groups too, which I feel yeah, like Yeah, I mean, is... um, a good journalist named Steve Horn wrote a piece yesterday, which connected it to like DeVos, the Mercers, the Koch network. Yeah, so these are not spontaneous uh, movements. No. Uh, you know, they're really good for business, uh, for, for media. I mean, um, you know, the, the media loathes Trump, you know, but they, he's got a point. They're making a lot of money off him. They're getting a lot of clicks off him. So yeah. uh, that's why you see this. What I find really, you know, actually kind of funny is, well, like, you know, the young woman, the, the, the famous sign where it said, keep your laws off my body or something like that with a mask, right? Trump 2020, right? My uh, body, they, my choice. Well, we've talked about, you know, how they've like kind of co-opted and commodified Martin Luther King. Now they're doing this to the, the choice movement, right? It has nothing to do with abortion rights or, or contraception or any, anything uh, uh, like that uh, at all. But it's, it's, it's good media optics. Like one guy yesterday in Michigan was like breaking down, almost weeping because he couldn't buy fertilizer. Um, for one thing, like you could see behind, it was like 30 degrees and sleeting. But Home Depot was open. Hardware stores are open. You can get, you can get fertilizer at the grocery store. So, I mean, it, and, you know, one woman's complaining because she can't get her hair done, you know. So it's pretty silly stuff. And I think it's important to understand that stuff like Jasmine's doing or, or, or there are mutual aid groups now popping up all over uh, and what they're doing really outnumbers these crazies by a, a vast number. Then if you take into account, like you said, Amazon, Instacart, badass nurses. I mean, some of the most inspiring images, which are, I think we're going to be looking at 40 years from now are these nurses with their arms folded, staring down these, these crazy people who are trying to block uh, uh, the emergency room, you know, and, and the governor of Michigan, who's, who's, I think actually done a fairly good job. She's defended this, but, you know, she gives the obligatory liberal, you know, well, they have a right to protest. It's like, uh, tell that to some black guy in New York who just got thrown into a holding cell for social distancing. You don't have a right to block a, uh, uh, an emergency room, you know, 
Well, I mean, just like the contrast that kind of came out of Michigan itself is that police were going into parks in Detroit and ticketing black people for not social distancing or not staying at home. Whereas like those right wing, you know, gridlock caravan blockades and people were doing photo ops on the, on the steps of the Capitol or the Proud Boys were blocking ambulance entrance, which I felt was the most outrageous. It's like the, just the comparison there is just like disgusting. It's like, it's just like yeah. overt, overt racism, racist system that we live in. Especially yeah, in, I mean, I just, just like, like Michigan. I'm almost at this point now where like that's so obvious, like it's, yeah. it's like you just take it for granted that's built into it. But sure, I mean, in New York, they they you know police are arresting African Americans and Puerto Ricans for social distancing, and they're throwing them in a holding cell, which is to me is like attempted murder. It's like manslaughter. You know, they're they're hoping they get it, but that's just kind of like that that comes with with the turf, unfortunately. But um, this wave of strikes is is inspiring. You're seeing, like yesterday, you know, the, the, the crazy-ass governor of, of Georgia, who is, is genuinely, like, scary, um, you know, so now he's going to reopen. Um, a lot of the mayors ha- are, are, like, begging people to stay in. And a lot of business owners, you know, small businesses are saying, no, we're not going back. You know, the reason for that is Georgia last month, I forget how much it was, Georgia last month spent more on unemployment claims than it would normally in about a six-month period. And with the numbers going up, if this continues, they're going to run out of money. This is a way to force people off, you know, they'll be unable to make unemployment claims if their businesses reopen. <clears throat> so it's a way to force people literally with a decision to go into work and potentially get this really bad disease. And the people working in these jobs are probably, you know, have more vulnerability anyway. Uh, so they have a choice. They can go back to work for a really shitty job, making, you know, 10 bucks an hour, maybe, probably more at risk anyway, or, you know, just like you're, you're sunk, you can't get unemployment. And, and then you, so, you know, you, you either lose your job or you risk your life and that's capitalism, right? That's people are seeing it. And then that's the point. This isn't new. I mean, what we're seeing now is exacerbated and it's intensified, but this is exactly how the system works, how it's intended to work. This isn't some liberal fantasy. Oh my God, this isn't America anymore. We are not like this. This is exactly how we are. This is exactly how it's supposed to work. We've been on this trajectory into like the next iteration of the of the Gilded Age for like 30 years, 40 years, what have you. And, and like now we're just in this like sort of like base, no protection, no support, no relief for people. And, and this is like where we've arrived. And then the people who benefit from it are encouraging, you know, working class people, middle class people who don't benefit from it, that their interests are sometimes, somehow aligned and that they need to go out and risk their lives at these like protests, these right-wing protests and like, you know, perpetuate the Gilded Age. Yeah, I mean, it's like, we use the phrase death cult. I mean, that's not, that's not being a joke. That's not being sarcastic or, or funny. I mean, that is, you know, Dan Patrick, the Lieutenant Governor of Texas yesterday again said, you know, you know, people need to be willing to sacrifice their lives and all this, there are things more important than life and all that kind of, they're not doing that, you know, uh, uh, themselves. <clears throat> but at the same time, you know, I always bring liberals into this. And again, you know, people roll their eyes and, you know, most people are liberals. You and I are in a, in a pretty small minority. Uh, but the reality is, if you want to stop Donald Trump, if you want to stop the GOP, if you want to stop this bullshit, you got to get rid of Pelosi and Schumer because last night they passed another bill and the post office wasn't even included. In it. You know, the, the media tries to, you know, polish that bag of shit, right? And it says, well, the Democrats got $25 million for testing, like as if it was a great triumph. I mean, that's nothing, right? But nothing, they caved. They didn't, they didn't demand anything, even though 
if you look at this data, their positions have majority, big majority support in most of these areas. Trump is, I mean, they've turned Trump into this super monster and he's very weak, he's very vulnerable. I always tell people he's closer to irrelevant than he is to fascist and they get upset at me. But the fact is, the guy is weak and he should be at 30% of the polls. But when you have the Washington generals up against you who are caving and they're not even, the post office has, is, is one of the most popular institutions in America and they're letting him die on the vine because Pelosi, well, did you see that video of Pelosi eating ice cream? Yeah. Oh my God. I mean, just fancy expensive ice cream in her industrial size freezer. Oh my God. Like $24,000 refrigerator freezer. She has, you know, hog and Dawes and dove bars. And like, why? Like, it's a, it's a silly symbolic thing and it doesn't have any meaning in the larger picture, but like, why would you do that? Like, why would you even think that that was a good idea? Like how yeah. fucking, you know, dense do you have to be? Every time I think, Oh, the Republicans have had their let them eat cake moment. Yeah. And the Democrats up one up that. <laughs> yeah, it's just, you know, the ice cream is kind of irrelevant, but, but the reality is, is, is the, yesterday I was talking about, I used the phrase, this isn't optics, it's ideology, you know? This is who they are. It's not like they want to do well, but they can't because they're constrained by Trump or constrained by, no, this is who they are. Obama was who he is. Obama wasn't gonna, it's like when we talked about LBJ a few weeks ago. I mean, the Great Society was the Great Society. I don't think it would have been any different had Vietnam not happened because Johnson did what he did. You know, that was, that was his ideology. Yeah. I don't think people, liberals don't understand that. These aren't like good people who are constrained or have their hands tied by the media or by Trump or by the need to be moderate or be, you know, I mean, you have Joe Biden. I, my new name for him, you watch The Sopranos, uh, so you know this, is uh, Mezzomorta Joe. If uh, Mezzomorta is a junior soprano, used to say that. How you feel? I have Mezzomorta. I'm, I'm half dead. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mezzomorta Joe is, is my new name for him. Where is he? He's invisible, right? It, it totally is. I mean, there, there's just like no visible uh, on the kind of national level, as far as like an organized political party goes, there's, there's no opposition right now, at least at the federal level. Like, no, I feel I mean, like, Trump I feel like some of the democratic governors have been pretty effective in pushing back. And yeah. That's, yeah. that's where that and the, and the media, the media who, who criticizes Trump has been the sort of like opposition, but like the, the feds, like Schumer, Pelosi, you know, you know, cave Biden invisible. Right. And so like people are just like 10 mile food bank lines. Was it 22 million people unemployment claims now? 22, 20, yeah, somewhere. Well, I think the claims are 20 million, but when you include gig economy workers, it's probably 24, 25. Yeah. So like ten, 10 mile food lines and she's fucking eating dove bars. You know, it's, it's not just that the stock market's in free fall. It's our, our country's in free fall, like yeah. economically, politically. And, and like, we have this, lunatic who's like actually incompetent just like fueling the the wrong kind of rage well look at that tweet right liberate virginia protect your beloved second amendment liberate minnesota liberate whatever michigan right um what's ironic is like he left out maryland and ohio with who have republican governors who are don't get along with trump any better than than anyone else does yeah. i mean it's like and, and i also see liberals saying oh he's a mastermind and he's playing this long no he's a nihilist he has no ideology other than destruction. And don't, yeah. uh, don't attribute these qualities to him. He's fascist. Fascism is an ideology with the, like, you know, it, it's it, it, with, with a certain level of efficiency. I mean, thank God he's not that, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I do think that some of his backers have a little bit more of a long game. I actually think DeVos and the Mercers and folks like that too. Yeah, and, sure, they, sure. And, and they're basically just trying to like 
ride the it's like the rodeo and they're just trying to ride the bronken buck as long as they can to yeah. loot as much as possible but yeah and and we're we're stuck now you know with situation <clears throat> and in the in the short term the only solution is this you know kind of electoral thing right and i mean electoralism we've talked about that you know a, a lot too but so in the short term you have this choice you know between you know i say you know it's like do you want third degree, third stage lung cancer or fourth stage pancreatic cancer, because that's kind of what, what you're looking at. And, you know, I mean, you know, in terms of, you know, making things a little less worse, you're probably better off with dem a Democratic Senate or something like that, right? But, you know, at the end of the day, what that means is for four years, you're not really going to get anything done. And what's really frightening is this could set the stage in 2024 for a smooth, not vulgar Trump. You could easily have somebody who believes the same shit he does. And, you know, Trump, you know, Tom look, Cotton, Tom Cotton, Josh Hawley. Yeah, I mean, who just aren't going to be that stupid and that vulgar and that ignorant. Right. But, you know, Trump is horrific. I mean, he's dangerous. There's no redeeming value. He's scary as hell. But if you look at like people talking about judicial appointments, well, Christ, look at Reagan's, you know, yeah. you know, look at I mean, go back, you know, we're liberals are not romanticizing. I see, I see memes that liberals are quoting Ronald Reagan. Oh my God, come on. I mean, you know, Reagan and Bush and Cheney, there's not much difference. They all appointed crackpot right-wing ideological judges. They deregulated, uh, uh, you know, industries. I mean, uh, Jimmy Carter deregulated the airlines. You see how well that's worked, right? So like, don't, you know, I mean, this is not, this is not a unique moment. And Trump is not a unique guy by any means. He's dangerous. He's horrific. You've got to go. But, you know, at the same time, like this idea that you have to be moderate and you have to appeal, you know, the Democratic Party, I mean, they've pretty explicitly said, fuck you to the working class. We don't care if you, you know, you're going to vote for Republicans. We don't care. We're going to go after these uh, suburban Republicans, these suburban women. I actually think it's going to work. I've yeah. bet all along that Biden will win. I'm not going to back down now. You know, just because I, I, I think that there are forces at play. But, um, you know, it's, it's, we're looking at four years where things aren't going to, uh, you know, the bleeding may not be quite as profuse. But other than that, um, you may be setting the stage for something much worse. Which is yeah. And so, and so, Jim, the lesson of our, our conversation with Jasmine and our conversation a few weeks ago with Scott Crow and some of our future conversations we have coming up is that there is no heroes. Um, we can't actually rely on like national opposition leadership because there is no national oppositional leadership. And so therefore we need to like be connected and get involved with our local mutual aid group, get involved in local organizing, uh, you know, support uh, what I call the COVID resistance, which is like, you know, the Amazon workers on strike, which like 300 uh, they were like, they were walking out on strike yesterday at, at Amazon work facilities around the country uh, you know, supporting the, who's really on the front lines of what's going on, at least with the pandemic, which are the kind of healthcare workers, the grocery store workers, people who are still like basically exposing themselves to the virus every day. And so like, this is where, you know, regular people who listen to this podcast, the small but mighty following, the growing following, like this is the place to get involved. And so I just want to kind of continue to emphasize that. And also as a pitch for climate and fossil fuel work. Um, and I'm hoping that we're going to have a episode on this sometime soon is like, you know, they've, they've said that pipeline operations, construction of pipeline, and actually even logging operations in Northern California are all essential. And so there's people 
whether it's in Northern British Columbia or Northern California who are like standing up to these industries. And so like, that's also a place to get involved, like get involved yeah. with your local climate group, your local environmental group. Well, nurses are starting to file lawsuits. They're having a protest uh, at the White House. Um, yeah, there are people all over doing this stuff. And, you know, don't rely on Bernie Sanders. Don't rely on the Democrats. Don't rely on your union bosses. I mean, many yeah. of them, a, f a few weeks ago, four union leaders wrote an op-ed in USA Today. You know, this is a stress test for capitalism. We're doing well. You know, Hoffa, Weingarten, the usual suspects. And don't rely on your bosses either. Definitely don't think that your, your oh, corporate supervisor I mean, you know, has your best interests at heart. And, and this is actually what's encouraging because this is DIY stuff. These are wildcats, GM wildcat. I finally forced GM to approve uh, 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 poultry plants, uh, garbage workers, sanitation workers in Pittsburgh, you know, all over the place. And, and you know, they're not saying, burn, you know, oh, Bernie's going to Don't read Jacobin and don't listen to, you know, if you want to join DSA, that's great. But don't think any of those people are going to make a damn bit of difference. You know, uh, there are people in your community who know far more than all the people in Brooklyn collectively do. And, you know, I get pissed off about that, not, you know, because I think, I think those people are actually damaging the movement by focusing on Bernie Sanders and AOC and all that other shit when, in fact, uh, people like Jasmine and Southern Solidarity and people in the Bay Area and people in Washington, D.C., who are out there doing, you know, mutual aid, people going on strike all over the country. That's, that's where it is, man. That's that's yep. what James yep. Baldwin said. Look beneath something like uh, beneath the pavement. That's where the truth lies. I forget yep. precisely. Exactly. Those, and, and that's where it is, man. So look beneath the pavement. And yep, want to um, thank folks for listening to Green and Red today. Uh, we're we're excited to talk to Jasmine Arauha uh, with Southern Solidarity New Orleans. Definitely check out their website and their GoFundMe and support them. And as always. Uh, follow Green and Red on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I am getting a lot of feedback from our Instagram meme game that we have it going on. And so, <laughs> so just like, you know, keep following. It's our fastest growing social media account. And then also please think about becoming a patron of Green and Red on patreon.com backslash Green Red Podcast. And then also we are going to have a website here before too long. Sooner or later, mm -hmm. we will have a website where you can go and check out everything. Yeah, and as always, think globally, guillotine locally. Yep, have a good one, folks. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.